You're listening to What Book Hooked You. I'm Brock Shelley. Thank you for listening. On this episode, I talked to Dahlia Adler, who I'm sure many of you know uh, if you're a part of the YA book community. Uh, she is a writer herself, a big advocate uh, for books, and she is the editor of a new anthology, His Hideous Heart, coming out from Flatiron Books on September 10th. His Hideous Heart is all about Edgar Allan Poe, uh, 13 retellings, including uh, the original work from Edgar Allan Poe, uh, a great project, and I was excited to get to talk to Dahlia and find out the inspiration and just the behind-the-scene work that she did on this. So listen in. So Dahlia, what book hooked you? So I've been a reader forever, but when I think about the one book that really got me excited about YA, it's Cracked Up to Be by Courtney Summers, which just has the best, most sharp-tongued, smart, but vulnerable main character in Parker Fadley. And I think for me, growing up on and loving Babysitter's Club and Sweet Valley High and all that, I kind of didn't realize how much personality and edge a main character in YA could have until I read that. And that was like such a light bulb moment for me. I can love this. <laughs> I can throw myself into this. I can just be awed by this in a way that I, I hadn't really been by stuff marketed to teens until then. So Cracked Up to Be by Courtney Summers is like everything to me. And so when with this book, was it, uh, were you kind of dabbling with YA or kind of as you sort of were alluding to, kind of had your mind made up of what YA maybe was. And so how did you really come upon this book to give it that chance to have this more eye-opening experience through it? I have to be honest. I don't remember what made me pick it up. I always read books for teens. I'm the youngest in my house by uh, six years, seven grades. So Sweet Valley High is what was lying around when I was five. And I was an early reader, so that's what I was picking up. So I was always reading books that were marketed to teens. And then the other option I was thinking for a book that hooked me was um, Sloppy Firsts by Megan McCafferty, which I don't call YA just because it wasn't marketed as such, I don't mm -hmm. think. It's a five-book series that goes into her adulthood. But it was the same kind of thing where I was like, oh, a voice like mine, not, you know, the perfect Wakefield twins, you know, of Sweet Valley, but somebody who feels like a real person who thinks like I do, who talks like I do. Um, and I don't remember what made me stumble onto that either, but I suspect that was the book that made me want to read more teen protagonists outside of the big series I was already reading. Um, and then Cracked Up to Be, I think I was living in Philly at the time, and in my 10-minute walking commute to work, I used to pass by a Barnes and Noble. Mm. So you can imagine like if they had it, sure. I was I was going in there and buying it. And that's where I really got into buying and reading more YA and seeing what YA could be. But this was, I moved to Philly and lived there 2008 to 2011. So it was really just as YA as we know it now was kind of starting up. So it wasn't that I had preconceived notions about YA. It's that YA was becoming something wildly different. And I feel like I kind of got there with it. Um, where a lot of other authors, I think, kind of got started on Harry Potter and Twilight, I wasn't a fantasy reader. So those aren't the books that hooked sure. me. So to see contemporary um, that was really kind of 
getting its due and having those voices that I loved for me was wonderful because the books that were being hugely marketed to teens weren't of interest to me just because of their genres. So um, I think that's how I, I sort of got there. I mean, I picked up looking to uh, looking for Alaska because it had Alaska in the title, sure. and I kind of thought and hoped it was set there. I'd never heard of John Green. Like, this was right. early. So uh, I'm very grateful for getting me started and, and me going into YA with having the vision of that this is what it was. And so backing up uh, more to when you were uh, the, t- the uh, young adult time period, a teenager, yeah. <laughs> what – was maybe some of the big books, important books that you kind of think back uh, that you either really loved or had a really big impact on you? So I know it's really not popular to say and people really love to hate it and I get why, but Catcher in the Rye was and still is to me. It's just always going to be one of my favorite books. I know it's problematic on a zillion levels. I know it's a whiny privileged kid, (laughs) but there was something captured in his, you know, and Holden Coalfield's emotions and worries and frankly, in his, you know, expression of mental illness that really resonated with me. And I kind of couldn't believe what could be captured with words uh, in the descriptions of how he thought and how he felt. Um, and that was really big to me. I loved my first real, real favorite book was A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. I think I read that in fifth grade. Um And that kicked me off on like a book can be, you know, a literary adult book, but have a protagonist who's my age and be awesome. But you also got to see her grow into adulthood, which I thought was very cool about it. Um, What else did I love? Uh, The heavily problematic, obviously, Gone with the Wind was another fifth grade, sixth grade favorite. Um, when I was really, really in my teens, I mean, I was doing school reading. I think the best book that I read in school was Song of Solomon by Toni Morrison. Mm was my favorite of my high school assigned reading, but like <laughs> there's nothing I can say I took from that book. I apply to my own work. I just look <laughs> at her in awe and that's it. Uh, the stuff that had more like teen protagonists were, you know, I think fed me as an author more, mm-hmm. but as a reader, um, Song of Solomon was, was a definite favorite. Uh, and then I was reading a lot of, you know, chiclet. Mm-hmm. I know we're not supposed to call it that. Um, but uh, Jane Green was doing stuff I really loved then. I mean, it's been amazing to see this resurgence of women's fiction, romance, like stuff on that border um, with uh, Helen Huang and Jasmine Guillory and getting stuff. It's I just like the, the romance stuff that's set a little more in um, career world and friend world and whatever. And it's, I feel like there's been a resurgence of the stuff that I grew up reading as a teen, and I'm really loving seeing that now. And then when you kind of first had this idea or started to pursue writing, when was that? What was kind of your initial story you felt you needed to tell? So it was really early. I've been writing young adult since I want to say I was like eight. Um, And it was from growing up reading Babysitter's Club and Sweet Valley High that I was like, so I am um, modern Orthodox Jewish and I, I still am, you know, I've chosen to keep with that observance and, but, and it isn't that I feel restricted by it, but you live, you know, a certain kind of life. So I wasn't going out on Friday nights because I observed Sabbath and I wasn't going to the beach and I wasn't wearing bikinis and I wasn't eating cheeseburgers and I wasn't kissing boys. And I just, 
thought that stuff all sounded like so much fun. So really all I was doing with my writing in the beginning was kind of trying to live this second life, living vicariously through these characters who were doing things I couldn't and I wouldn't. Um, so that's where it really started for me. And then I didn't try to get published until I was in my mid twenties because I never wanted to share my work with anyone. I never wanted to show it. I was always nervous about it. And then when my husband was in law school, we were pretty broke. And I was like, maybe I should try to make money at this. And that's the really noble story of how I first tried getting published. But that's also when I started putting more pieces of my actual self into stories. Um, my debut behind the scenes was centered around a storyline of the main character learning that her father has stage four cancer. Um, and that was completely from that happening with me in college. So it was nice to, instead of trying to write to be somebody else, to pull pieces of me and put them into characters. And I do that a little bit more now. Um, and then that's also, you know, I shifted into queer literature, same kind of way. Uh, and I, I'm really loving learning more about myself as I write. You, uh, pursue writing. Uh, you were able to get published, but it, but you've gone farther than, uh, just become an author and just being someone that will, you know, retweet someone else's announcements and things like that. You're really a cheerleader, a spokesperson, an advocate, uh, for YA, especially within, uh, uh, queer books. So really what kind of drove you to, to do more, uh, and take it to that level, I'd say. I really just love books and I really, um, I really, like I was saying before about, you know, like Harry Potter, Twilight, I had to look for the smaller titles originally mm -hmm. because what was really blowing up in YA Hunger Games, again, these, I, I ended up reading some of this stuff as an adult, but I wasn't finding the things that were really of my interest marketed. So I had to go hunting and I learned to hunt and I learned to, find the titles that aren't getting so much attention from publishers and to try to give them, you know, a little bit more of a platform. So the other people like me who are looking for quieter books, who are looking for contemporary, who are looking for hard to find representation, who are looking for good representation. I wanted to make that more accessible to others because to me, it was definitely something that I had to work for, but I was also coming from a publishing background. My first job out of college was, um, an editorial assistant at Simon and Schuster in adult books, but I already really liked reading teen books. So I used to like go down to the kids floor and take books off the freebie shelves. And I found a lot of smaller titles that way. So I was kind of already getting into it that way and then buying discount books. And I sort of stumbled into all these smaller, quieter titles and I wanted to be somebody who was talking about them. And thankfully there are a lot of people out there who want to hear about them and they got interested in me as a blogger. And then Barnes and Noble offered me a position as a blogger. So I've gotten to write about them, which is wonderful. Um, and then I sort of tumbled into queer lit and found that even as, you know, numbers were getting higher in terms of what's getting published. People weren't necessarily finding out about it. Publishers weren't necessarily putting that much behind it. And even if publishers were putting a lot behind the books, they were often sort of burying the queerness and kind of, I, I don't know if they hoped readers would find it later or they just wanted to market to the biggest audience possible and people would learn about it later. Uh, 
But I think it's really important for people to be able to find those books and not everybody is going to stumble upon that later. So I made LGBTQ Reads in 2016 to be a site that was sort of um, kind of a recommendation site for queer lit for all ages. And hopefully it's a place that people can find a lot of books that really aren't getting a lot of buzz as queer or as books at all. Um and it's it's been really great. There's been really nice response from a lot of people. I've been really lucky to be able to reach, and I see libraries use it as a recommendation tool, um, and all that's really fantastic. But yeah, I think it really came from actually just honestly being interested in the quieter, the mid list, um, and then wanting to do something with that. You know, when you love books, anyone who loves books knows how badly you want to talk about sure. them. You have a podcast about right. what book hooked you. Like, you know, the dream is just getting to share that love. So I'm very lucky to be able to do that. Do you think your um, recommenda- recommending books and uh, promoting books has fed your reading life or has your reading life really driven uh, how your your BNY uh, blog and uh, the reads. Basically, I'm saying, do you read more now because you're kind of trusted upon to recommend books like this, or was it just kind of natural? Um, I definitely prioritize more books I think are important to find an audience. So I wouldn't say that every single book that I choose to read is because I'm dying mm-hmm. to read it. Um, you know, there'll be books that aren't necessarily my thing, aren't my genre, but they have sort of a very marginalized point of view and I really want to read it and love it so I can talk about it a lot. And sometimes that's fantastic and works out great. I mean, Once in Future by Amy Rose Capetta and Corey McCarthy is sci-fi would not at all be my thing, but I read it and I loved it. And now I can talk about it all the time and make sure that the people who need to find that representation can. And that means a lot to me to be able to do. Would it be the book that I primarily contemporary reader would have chosen? No, but I'm super glad that I felt propelled to by the different jobs that I have. Um, so that's a big deal to me. I am trying to uh, read more adult these days, though, mm-hmm. because I feel like blogging for Barnes & Noble Teen Blog is it's wonderful, but it has so heavily informed my reading such that YA has become like 95% of what I read. Um, and I, would, I just want to read more. You know, so I'm reading a little bit more middle grade and I'm reading a little bit more adult. I joined a book club in my neighborhood and they always pick adult. So I read it that way. Um, But blogging definitely has informed my book choices and I'm trying to make it inform them just a little bit less, (laughs) actually. And so beyond just being an author, uh, being a blogger, now you're also uh, putting on your editor hat uh, with the new collection that you have coming out, His Hideous Heart. Uh, coming out on September 10th. So let's talk about that. What is this anthology about? Oh my God. So I love this anthology. His Hideous Heart is coming out from Flatiron September 10th. It's all reimaginings of Edgar Allan Poe works, um, stories and a couple of poems. Uh, although only The Raven was redone as a poem. Tessa Grattan, we reworked Annabelle Lee to be this beautiful story. Um, and what I really love about the way that it came out is I gave no instructions other than I'll like try for this word count. And everybody came back kind of telling their stories from a different perspective than Poe had because Poe's protagonists are mainly white men mm-hmm. and not a single person wrote back with a white male main character. That's just how it worked out. So you got to see all these stories through different gazes and different lenses 
um, and tweaked a little bit. And the hearts of the stories and the vibes of the stories are really there. But there are different genres within. I mean, a couple of people did hacking stories and there's some historical, historical fantasy. I did contemporary. There's some real horror. I mean, it's really a mix up, but I think it all goes together. I mean, part of what an editor has to do is kind of order those stories in a way that works. But I thought it made for a collection of really interesting takes on Poe that felt really true to the original while giving really different spins that I think what I love is that I think it will really allow um, teens, and I hope that this will be in schools. I think it will really allow students to have Poe feel more relevant and to be able to see themselves in classic literature more than they've been able to in the past. And I love that about it. And the original stories are in there too. Oh, great. So I think for schools, mm-hmm. libraries, it's really fantastic to be able to do compare and contrast and see how changing the perspective makes sure. a difference and changing the genres makes a difference and all that. I think it's so cool how it came out. So how was this a project uh, that you got involved in and wanted to kind of lead? <laughs> This is a little bit of an embarrassing story, um, but I, you know, every now and again, I pose questions on Twitter. And this time I tweeted, if you could have any author retell any story, what would you mash up? You know, so people gave all their responses. um, And somebody, a teacher named Jacqueline, said that she would love to see an Edgar Allan Poe anthology with, and she named three YA authors. And I was like, love that idea would kill to see this with, you know, Tiffany Jackson doing Cask of Amontillado and Stephanie Keene doing Telltale Heart. And, um, you know, Tiffany and Steph each responded, I would do that. I would do that. And then some other YA authors started tweeting at me. I would be into that. So I was like, okay, great. And then I realized, oh, no, wait, this is going to happen. I'm going to make this happen. So I jumped offline. I got in touch with the rest of my favorite horror and thriller authors um, including one from that original tweet. She had really, she mentioned Kendara Blake, which I thought was a great choice. And I love Kendara's story in this collection. Um, and that's how I went ahead and put it together. So it's really a combination of my favorite authors in, you know, all the kind of possible subgenres of Poe with fantasy, thriller, horror. I just, it's everyone who really nails it for me. Um, and it's funny because I'm really the odd person out genre wise coming in from writing like contemporary romance. Although I did end up writing a romantic contemporary kind of twisted story. Um, so I think it still stayed pretty true to me, but uh, I was definitely a funny choice by the luck of the tweet. <laughs> I credit myself with my lineup because <laughs> I feel really good about who I put together yes, in there. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And so for kind of the outsider uh, that hasn't been an editor, doesn't really know what goes into the process of collecting an yeah. anthology, some might think it's just the authors hand in their stories and you staple them together and send them off. So really, yeah. what kind of was your role as the editor uh, when pulling this uh, anthology together to get it out? So it is really clear, actually. A lot of people think there's not much to it, and it's so far from the truth. So, I mean, first of all, you're the one, I mean, for me, because they're reimaginings, I had to, you know, discuss what stories everybody was going to cover and make sure that there wasn't overlap and make sure that we were covering all the, all the really big mm-hmm. ones I thought were important to be in there. I mean, the first step is really doing that lineup sure. and then getting contracts out to everybody. I mean, so there's a lot of technical and logistical work. You also, I did, you know, finances, taxes, sent out forms. Um, I mean, all that stuff is a big deal, but editorially, 
the first big thing is getting those contributors on board and then, you know, making sure that they each have their story they're doing and they know that they can bounce any questions about it off you. Then they turn in their stories. Um, I edited each of the stories. I sent them on to the publishing editor who then further edited. Um, and then I'm the go-between for every level of that. So when first pass pages, so when copy edits happen, when first pass pages come in, I'm going back and forth with all the authors and, you know, I'm the go-to if they have any issues with the edits that were made, if they have any questions, I'm the one collecting everybody's edits back from them and putting it all on one central document and sending it in. Um, all that stuff is me. And then there's also, you know, the stuff you can do if you want to do. So I commissioned a reader's guide because I thought that was a really important thing to have. So, you know, I dealt with the really, really wonderful teacher who did that, Rachel Alpine, definitely recommend. Um, and she sent in a bunch of questions for each one. So then I sent them out to each author and asked, which ones would you like included in the reader's guide? And I, you know, whatever opinions I had. And then I pick them out and send them to Flatiron. I'm not even done doing that. Um, and then then you have all the publicity stuff and the marketing stuff and all that's a big deal. And, cover, you know, it's all everything that comes with doing a novel, plus also editing all these stories, plus also the logistical work, plus also every single time you're dealing with a round of edits, you are dealing with all your contributors' edits as well. You know, you're not doing them for them, but you are a go-between for all of them. So it's uh, very time-consuming as things happen. <laughs> and having written your own books and now being the editor of this book, was there, I'll say, did you feel more pressure or more anxiety, if you want to put it that way, about this process at times because you had all these parties in involved in, and sort of coming to you as the point person? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a mixed bag because on the one hand, I pick these authors because I love them and I think they're fantastic. I mean, I will fully cop to that most of the stories had pretty minimal editing just because they came in such great shape. So, um, you know, on the one hand, I wasn't particularly worried about the contents of the book because mm -hmm. it's only, you know, one thirteenth plus an author's note mine. Um, so that's great. But I felt like and still feel like I'm responsible for the reviews being good, for the publicity being on target, for the events being good, for the marketing happening throughout. And you, I think because there's so many people involved in an, in an individual anthology and I've been in three others as well. So I think the hope is always that your contributors are going to be as excited about it as you and market it as much as you. But the reality is they have their own work. They have their sure. own books with their names on the cover. Sure. Your name is on the cover of this right. one. So this really is on you. So a lot of it isn't the, you know, 13 people sharing an equal excitement that you initially think it's going to be. And like, of course not. Your name is on the cover. You took half the uh, advance, you know, that's so, um, there is a lot of anxiety in wanting to make sure that everybody is really happy and satisfied with how it's coming out because they put in their work. Um, but there is definitely some calmness in the content itself being a group effort um, and in just knowing that it's good. And I mean, the publishing partner you have makes a very big difference. And I can't imagine like working with Flatiron was mm -hmm. amazing yeah. with Sarah Barley, with the whole team. So that makes a really big difference as well. I mean, the publicity has been phenomenal these last couple of months. So 
I mean, everything that they're working on behind the scenes is really great. And that also makes a big difference. But it's uh, it's a learning curve. I'm, I'm very curious what it's going to be like doing it again now with everything that I know behind me. Was it purposeful that there are 13 stories and 13 kind of has this creepy, scary connotation as a number? It was so purposeful that there are 13 <sighs> stories that the proposal actually says 13 parentheses, of course. Um, but credit for that actually goes to Marika Nykamp, who's one of the contributors and one of my best friends. And when I was discussing putting together this proposal with her, um, she mentioned that and I was like, oh, yes, obviously. Right. So yes, very purposeful. Thank you, Marika. And while I'm sure you had familiarity with Edgar Allan Poe, do you feel like you have much more kind of a, maybe a college level course understanding now of, of <laughs> Poe after this whole process? Oh, yeah. But honestly, I think of the way this book came out as contributing to scholarship on Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, to me, this is really kind of required study for if you're really, really interested to see how his work could look from different angles. I mean, I think it's I definitely learned a lot more and read stories I haven't read in a long time. Mm -hmm. And it was very funny to have all the contributors coming back and being not all, but a bunch coming back and being like, did you realize that the original (laughs) of this is like. 30 pages of description and a page of plot. And like you, the impression that he makes as an author is so incredible. And the vibes that he leaves you with and the atmosphere that sticks in your brain that I think even though a lot of us hadn't really looked at Poe in 20 years, um, you got the sense that you knew exactly what the story was. And in your head, it was tightly plotted and beautifully described and everything because that is how it sticks with you. And then you read the actual text of the story and it's not the pacing at all sure. that you remember, that I remembered. Um, so it's it's pretty wild, the uh, difference in impression from from childhood to now. But it was, it was cool reading it again and seeing what was what I remembered and what was different and what will be different for people who are first experiencing Poe this oh, way. Hopefully there'll be some of those. Absolutely. And this whole process... Uh, while it may have had its challenges, you liked it enough that you're doing it again because it was yes. announced that you're doing an anthology surrounded around Shakespeare called yeah. uh, This Way Madness Lies. So That Way Madness Lies, yeah. Uh, what is it? Do you have any uh, clues or, or nuggets that you can kind of give us as far as uh, the process of this one? So there's, you know, I got to skip all the beginner stuff. I didn't have to put together a proposal. I mean, I mean it when I say working with Flatiron has been wonderful. It's been really smooth. And thankfully, they seem to like working with me as much as I do with them. So I had lunch with my editor and I mentioned that I wanted to do this. And immediately I threw up names because that's really my favorite part of all of this. Um, I think some people think you just like pick your friends or you pick bestsellers. But I feel like... I, this is the part I feel like I am, I don't want to say uniquely good at, but I'm like, okay, I'll go with uniquely good at. I feel like I'm very good at this part, knowing who will be good at these specific kinds of things based on the YA they already write or their short story experience. Cause I read a lot of anthologies. Um, so I really had a, a lot of thoughts for who I thought would be really killer at retelling Shakespeare uh, and thankfully, Sarah had a lot of excitement about the same names. And that's kind of how this one just came about. So it was a much easier start. 
because we built up such rapport about sure. doing the Poe one. And I, I have to say, I think it was an unusually smooth experience. <laughs> so we'll see if the second one sure. goes the Absolutely. same way. But I mean, I think only one author didn't make story by initial deadline and then gave it to me three weeks later. Like, that's what we're talking about. Sure. It's been such a wonderfully smooth experience. And I know that's not always what it's like. So we'll see if That Way Madness Lies is, uh, is a little different, but I'm really excited about it. Um, it's something I was talking about for a while with um, a few of the contributors. So Lily Anderson, who has already retold Shakespeare in uh, The Only Thing Worse Than Me Is You. Lindsay Smith, who I, I mean, I love, but I also, I really wanted somebody in the Shakespeare anthology I thought would go fearlessly dark, which if you've read her A Darkly Beating Heart, you know that there's kind of no limits on that. Um so I really wanted her, and she's a very good friend of mine. And Anna Marie McLemore, who is just, I think, the most beautiful writer in YA, um, who I knew would do a wonderfully queer version of something. So she's doing Midsummer Night's Dream because, of course, she is. So I had been talking with those three about it for a while, um, and then when it happened, it, it came together with everybody else. But, um, but I can tell you, I put it together. I didn't put his hideous heart together with any sort of agenda other than I want my favorite authors sure. in mm-hmm. Poe genres. But with Shakespeare, because we've already seen it retold so many mm-hmm. different ways, it wasn't mm-hmm. the same exact kind of approach. So I really wanted, I went in wanting to achieve with it the same thing that I felt like his hideous heart organically achieved with the different perspectives. So for example, I knew for Shakespeare, I definitely wanted a trans guy author because there's so many cross-dressing stories. And I was like, I want a trans guy author to be able to take ownership of one of those and write it how he wants. So Austin Chant was, I mean, he did um, a trans guy retelling of Peter Darling. It's not YA. I mean, of Peter Pan called Peter Darling. It's not YA, but he's just brilliant. And I was like, he is who I want and I'm going to have him do this. And he is um, doing Twelfth Night, which I'm so excited about. Um, so I went about it a little more that way, which is not something I've considered with his hideous heart as much, but I, I'm very excited for how I think, um, that way Madness Lies is going to come out and I hope it has the same sort of diverse Shakespearean perspectives right. as his hideous heart had with Poe. I mean, it's going to just based on the authorship <laughs> and what I know people are writing, I can tell you it will, but it, it definitely was a little bit more, um, put together with that in mind. Wonderful. So a few questions as we wind down. Uh, the yeah. first one being, what is your favorite movie that's based on a book? <laughs> uh, I would say L.A. Confidential, which okay. is a book by James Elroy. Uh, I know it's not YA, but it's just been a favorite movie of mine for a very long time. Um, I just think it's wonderful, and I love the noir and sure. – um, I mean – I don't want to talk about the actors in it, but <laughs> <laughs> once upon a time, that was a draw sure. to it. But, uh, you know, that was 1997 and now it's 2019 and we right. know some different things. Um, but that's it. For YA, I'm just really enjoying the movies that are happening now. I really, I mean, to all the boys I've loved before, it was really fun. Um, sure. So I think that's my favorite of, of the new wave of YA movies. And then the next question, and I'm interested to hear this because of just how widely you read. Is there a book or a series that you're willing to admit you've either never read or never finished? Yep. Harry Potter. Okay. <laughs> I know. I shouldn't be as willing to admit it, but I'd like as I see what Harry Potter house is your character in, <laughs> in like every interview and every panel, I'm just trying to be really upfront about it. 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer. Like if they're jerks, I guess they're Slytherins. Like I, <laughs> I'm working on learning it, but yes, Fine. I will fully cop to not having read Harry Potter. Very good. And then finally, what is the last great book that you've read? And you can name more than one if you have to. <laughs> if you just feel you can't choose. I'm trying to think of like the most standout of the standout. Um, and the one that's really coming to mind for me. Can I name one that isn't out yet? Sure. Is uh, The Last True Poets of the Sea by Julia Drake. And so that's a queer YA that's coming out, I think, October 1st. And I just loved it so much. It reminded me of The Weight of the Stars by Kayla Ancrum and How to Make a Wish by Ashley Herring Blake both of which are FF romances, but it really had the found family aspect and mental health stuff that Kayla Ancrum's work has. Um, and then the coastal feel of how to make a wish. Um, and I just thought it was so special and beautifully written and she's a debut. So that's always so exciting to me because then I'm just thrilled for everything that they have coming next. Um, I do want to mention one that was already published so I will go with my favorite rom-com I've read in a while, which is Hot Dog Girl by Jennifer Duggan. It's just really fun. Um, it's also by main character, but I, I think it does really fun things with friendship with Summer. Um, it just, it brought me a lot of joy. And I really, it's the kind of book where I just hope we keep seeing more like it all the time. Well, Dahlia, I want to thank you so much for joining me. Uh, for telling uh, your story and your kind of journey. His Hideous Heart is a book that I'm very much looking forward to. It comes out September 10th from Flatiron Books. And I thank you for your work on this, and I wish you all the best with it. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for having me. I love listening to this podcast. So I was very honored to be asked. And that does it for this episode. Thank you for Dahlia Adler for joining me again. Her anthology that she worked to edit, His Hideous Heart, retellings of Poe classics uh, comes out from Flatiron Books on September 10th. This is going to be uh, a great book that I think uh, could be really be used in schools as Dahlia mentioned. Uh, breathe new life into some of Poe's work. So I hope you'll pick it up and I hope you'll check out some of the other great interviews I've had uh, with YA authors and people. I'm Brock Shelley and until...